this morning, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me. Whoops, I got the wrong way on here. There we go. Bring you a message about lessons from the life of Abraham. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and that'll be our text verses. Although we are going to be looking at lots and lots of scriptures today, and to save a little time, I put those, most of those, on the uh, slides behind me. But we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, first five verses for our text. Verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that had gotten, they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Stop right there for now. <clears throat> so in our text here, we have the significance of the narration of the life of Abraham. God's plan was to bless and redeem the world through a chosen people. We just talked about why Jesus came. This is the start on this earth when uh, God chose Abraham to be the father of these people. And through these people, Jesus would come. When God said, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed in our text we just read. He had in mind the coming of Christ, the seed of Abraham, concerning the flesh. In Galatians, we read, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to our offspring, who is Christ. It's Galatians 3.16. If you want to read that again on your own, please do, but... Talking about Jesus coming through Abraham and his seed. Through Abraham came the Jews. Through the Jews came the law and the prophets. And through them and after them, Jesus came and his church. Jesus said to the Jews of his day in, in John 8:56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. <clears throat> I think Abraham understood that he was the pro to be the progenitor of Jesus Christ, that is, the forefather of Jesus Christ, one of the forefathers. Uh, <clears throat> I think Abraham understood that, the progenitor of the Messiah, and a father of a great multitude of believers, people who lived righteous before God. In verse 8 of Galatians 3, 
says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. I also believe that Abraham kind of knew that this Canaan land that he was going to was not the final, the final uh, true Canaan that was to come. Uh, I think he knew that. Uh, the believers, the heirs according to promise, as the scripture says, would all dwell together in heaven one day. And I think that Abraham knew that. And those heirs, by the way, include you and I as, as uh, followers of Jesus today. So we may not be of Jewish lineage physically, but by placing our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, uh, we are God's chosen people. Part of the great family of God. <clears throat> the details of the great life of Abraham occupies more space in the Old Testament record than any other person in, in the Old Testament. He was a great, very great man of God. And uh, so I think it would do us a lot of good to study, take some time to study his life and to emulate his life. So let's take a look at it. I have like six, seven things, I'd like, seven points I'd like to share with you today. Uh, good points about the life of Abraham, six of them. And the final point, you might say, is maybe on the negative side. Um, but we'll get to that. That's number seven. First of all, let's go to, let's go to the first one. Abraham possessed great faith in God. And I missed, there we go, I missed a slide. Abraham possessed great faith in God. You say faith. What is faith? There is a wide misunderstanding of faith in our world today, and so we have to ask that question. The Bible, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, gives the classic definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, the conviction of things not seen. Therefore, essentially, faith is the ability to see the unseen. And this truth is set forth in another passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians. We read, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Apostle Paul wrote this passage of Scripture under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he faced many difficulties in life as he preached the gospel. But you know what? Paul didn't focus on those difficulties. He mentioned them, he talked about them, but he didn't focus on them. His focus was on Jesus Christ and on the end goal. He had his eye on the goal, on the finish line. His faith allowed him to do this, and it is the same for us today. When we face difficulties in life, we need to keep our eyes on the end goal. Just like an, athlete, an athletic runner, Paul concentrated on that finish line. He ignored the discomfort of the present. Because he had faith. He had faith in God. None of us here today have seen God with our eyes, and yet we know that he exists, right? We believe, we know he exists, and we, we accept that fact by faith. 
We have his word that he's given us that has stood the test of time on this earth. And we see God, evidence of God all around us. And we accept that fact that God is real. God is alive. We accept that fact by faith. Just as Paul did, and he kept his eye on the end goal as he was going through his life. So the Christian faith is an evidential faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Okay? Not a blind leap in the dark. You may throw a rock, or there may be a rock thrown into a pond of water. If you're standing by a pond, a rock may be thrown into the, that pond. And it makes ripples. Punk! It goes in the water, and then ripples go out all the way to the shore. <clears throat> all right? You know, you can assume, you can believe that a rock got thrown into the water, even if you didn't see it or hear it. You see the ripples, though. You see the, the effect of the rock. Okay? So you accept by faith that a rock or a pebble just got thrown into the water. It made these ripples. Look, it's going out in a circle all the way to the shore. So our faith is grounded in evidence that we can be that can be assessed and evaluated. Just look all around you in nature even. The way God created this earth and all the things in nature, you can see evidence that there's a, a mighty God. Look at the micro level, look at the macro level, and everything in between. There's so much evidence out there. It takes much more faith to believe that there's not a God than to believe that there is a God. Okay. <clears throat> Abraham, back to our character today, Abraham had great faith to believe that he and Sarah would have a son. Abraham looked beyond human circumstances, and he was one of these men that if God said it, he believed it, and he accepted that. He obeyed. So we know that Abraham, when Isaac was born, was an old man physically. But he believed what God told him. <clears throat> took great faith to obey God concerning this son Isaac. In Hebrews 11, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. So this is after Isaac's born. Isaac has grown up somewhat, young man. And Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he's promised that this son, is, he's going to have this large family, many descendants, doesn't have any children there yet, but here comes Isaac, and now Isaac's supposed to die. Uh, but Abraham stayed the course. He believed God, and God was faithful. God provided a, uh, a ram, and we know that Isaac did not have to die on that altar. Abraham's faith stood the test. question for us today is, how much could our faith stand? How strong is your faith? How strong is my faith? <clears throat> Too many people allow their faith to fail over the least of things. And as I think about that, the main culprit, I believe, is self, me, you. When our faith fails, self is to blame. 
it's not about me. It's all about God. We have to come to the place where I don't have to survive, but God is eternal, and God is faithful, and I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to fix, fixate my eyes on him on the end goal, and I'm going to follow God when he tells me to do this. I'm going to be obedient. That's the faith that Abraham had. It was an active, obedient faith. And that's the faith that we need to pursue. So Abraham was a man of great faith. Secondly, Abraham was justified by works. He was justified by works. In the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Faith and obedience goes together, just kind of like a hand in a glove. You can't have the one without the other. Do you believe that, what I just said? Do you believe that? I hope you do. Faith and obedience Faith and works goes together. The belief that salvation comes by faith alone is an erroneous doctrine. It's very prevalent today, but it's erroneous that faith alone is what saves you. <clears throat> James chapter 2, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's right there, black and white, right in the scriptures. It's so much ignored today, but it's right there. They go hand in hand. What it's saying is we have faith in God and we are obedient. That is, the, <clears throat> that is our act of works. We are obedient to what God tells us. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it goes together. It was not just Abraham's belief in God that made him acceptable, but it was his obedience that made him justified in the sight of God. Abraham believed the scripture says, and it was, King James says, imputed unto him for righteousness' sake. <clears throat> but it was his, also his obedience that, that did that. Abraham obeyed regardless of the cost. And we have that example of offering Isaac on the altar. Hard task, huge task. I mean, you have children today, imagine that, putting your child physically on an altar and raising a knife to slay your child. That's what, that's what Abraham was told to do by God. Hard stuff. How do you do that? It's because he had tremendous faith in God. <clears throat> he knew that he didn't have to survive. Isaac didn't have to survive. But if God said it, it had to be done. It had to be obeyed. <clears throat> Many times there's a cost to be paid with obedience to God. It costs us to follow Jesus. There's a song it says it's not an easy road, and I'm, we're not going to sing it today, but I'd like to read the lyrics. Um, not an easy road we're traveling today. It says it's not an easy road we are traveling to heaven, for many are the thorns on the way. It's not an easy road, but the Savior is with us. His presence gives us joy every day. It's not an easy road. There are trials and troubles, and many are the dangers we meet. But Jesus guards and keeps so that nothing can harm us and smooths the rugged path for our feet. Though I am often footsore and weary from travel, though I am often bowed down with care, a better day is coming 
when home in the glory, we'll rest in perfect peace over there. And then the chorus says, no, no, it's not an easy road. No, no, it's not an easy road. But Jesus walks beside me and brightens the journey and lightens every heavy load. <clears throat> will we, will we follow and obey Jesus at all cost? All cost. Abraham was justified by his works, by being obedient to the Father. And Abraham, thirdly, was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. Three times in the scripture, the scripture says he was a friend of God. In Second Chronicles, we read, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? <clears throat> Abraham, your friend? And then Isaiah 41, it says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And then in the New Testament, in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Here's a qualification. Do you want to be a friend of God? Here's the qualification. To be a friend of God, we must do his will. We must be obedient to him in every way. John, verse, chapter 14 and verse 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's Jesus talking. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. <clears throat> So, if you want to be a friend of God, we must be obedient to him. We must obey his commands. We must do his will. That, my friends, is active faith when we are doing that. We say we believe in God, but when we act on that and we obey, active faith. Fourthly, Abraham was in proper control of his family. These are all good points of Abraham. Abraham was in proper control of his fam family and highly complimented by God. We have that record in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, which says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. I believe as Abraham raised his children, his family, that he commanded his children to keep the law of God. And this pleased God. When we have our young children, excuse me, when we give our young children a command, we should have, we, we shouldn't give them a choice. We give them a command, we should not give them a choice. Obedience must be demanded. <clears throat> you've all probably heard the little phrase that delayed obedience is disobedience and it's very true, just think about it if it's delayed obedience, it's disobedience and there must be consequences so as when we have our young children and we give them a command 
Instant obedience should be demanded. God has given us instructions called commands, and he expects us to obey them immediately. <clears throat> you may have witnessed when, we, when you've seen a child who does not obey immediately. Uh, you, you've, that, that makes you a little bit shudder sometimes. But how many of us do the exact same thing when God tells us to do something? And we say within ourselves, I'll think about it. That's delayed obedience. We don't have that kind of authority to, to talk to God like that or to reason with God like that. When God gives us a command, he expects obedience. We don't have the authority to, to, to not do that. The psalmist recognized this, and he learned this principle as he, as he mentioned it then in Psalms 119, verse 60. He says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. That's instant obedience to God's commands. So what God has told you to do, what has God told you to do that you haven't started doing yet? That's a question. What has God told you to do that you haven't started doing yet? I would suggest it's in your best interest, my best interest, when we have that command to go ahead and do it and be obedient. Abraham wonderfully reinforced his commands to his family by his life, his actions. And that in itself is a big challenge for us as parents. You know, we can talk, we can teach and discipline our children and try to teach them God's ways, but if we're not being obedient, if we're not doing, practicing what we preach, so to speak, uh, that affects our children in a very negative way. But when we are being faithful at teaching God's principles and God's laws, and we're living that, that speaks very highly to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 18 through 21. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Instructions of how to teach our family. Talk about it, wherever we're at, around the table. Post it in our house on little signs, whatever, little mottos. God's commands need to be talked about, need to be taught, passed on as parents to our children. Not something that we should just do if we feel like it. We need to parent intentionally. We need to live intentionally. All right, the next one, number five, Abraham was very generous. Abraham was very generous. We have the story here in Genesis about Abraham and Lot. And after Abraham left Egypt, he came to Bethel. And it's here at Bethel where him and Lot and their men, their people, have some very big relational difficulties. We'll read just a little bit, two verses in Genesis 13. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and 
my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before, before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. So Abraham took charge of this situation and said, this is not right that we're struggling like this relationally. You and me and our men. There's got to be a better way. And so they talked about it, and he found a better way. Abraham, by right, should have had the first choice, but just look how generous Abraham was. He, even though he had the right, uh, he was called by God, and he was the older, but he still deferred it to Lot and left Lot pick first, and let Lot choose. He gave up his rights for the sake of peace. He was selfless. Remember I said earlier, when we have a problem, it's usually self that gets in the way. Abraham didn't let self get in the way. He didn't let self get in the way when he laid out Abraham, or Isaac on the altar. And he didn't let self get in the way in this instance either, when he had the right and the, should have had the privilege to make the first pick. He deferred it to Lot. <clears throat> the same attitude needs to prevail amongst us in the church today. Paul had it. He had a selfless attitude. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I came as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Uh, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. You might have to read this a couple times to get, get it. It's a little bit wordy there. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that, I, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Sounds pretty selfless to me, doesn't it, to you? Paul lived pretty selfless. He taught it and he lived it. And we must remember never to compromise the truth for the sake of peace. That's very difficult for some Christians today who don't keep a balance of truth and love. It's a very lopsided approach to take. And those kinds of folks uh, have a lopsided approach. They promote decisions, and then when they act upon those decisions, those, they fester, and they bring very devastating long-term effects. They tend to be peacekeepers versus peacemakers. And let me tell you, there is a big, big difference. If you don't know the difference, you study that one. Jesus taught us in the New Testament, in Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, to be peacemakers. Being a peacekeeper is a far cry different story. And uh, the lopsided approach that I talked about tends to be a peacekeeping situation. And it doesn't last, it doesn't work. Peacemakers is hard. To be a peacemaker is a hard thing. We should compromise only in the areas of our opinion, like Paul instructed us to do in Romans Chapter 14. I'm going to read these verses as well. 
starting at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. We should compromise only in the areas of opinion, not in the area of truth. Okay? Let's be very generous in our loving kindnesses to others. Abraham was generous, selfless, and let us be the same way and have loving kindness and generosity to others. Loving kindness is hard. You can do a kind deed for somebody, that can be easy. But loving kindness can be hard. Not all the time, but it can be hard. You may have to say something very hard to that person, and that's loving kindness. Okay? Let's go on to the next one. Abraham refused to become entangled in the affairs of the world. When Lot was captured and taken from his home, his new home in Sodom, Abraham went to the rescue. Abraham and his company defeated the, the captors, the ones who were capturing Lot. Um, and he was not interested in the spoils. Abraham wasn't interested in the spoils. He got some, but that wasn't his main focus. His main focus was to rescue Lot. Abraham was determined not to be under obligation to the enemies of God. He knew that this would give cause for stumbling, and he would not be allies with those who he should be separated from. So likewise, let's follow that example for us today. That's what Abraham did. So for us today, we need to remember to stay away from worldly and sinful affairs. In 2 John, verses 9 through 11, it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not, have, does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Let's make that crossover for us today. Don't get entangled in worldly affairs, worldly pursuits, but let's stay focused on the one who enlisted us in this kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God 
and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And another verse in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So I ask the question to us today, what are the cares of this world that we become entangled with? I'm not going to get real specific here and name a bunch of things, but what I'd like for you to do is uh, self-evaluation. Um, the plans are to have our communion service in about a week from now, and the scriptures tell us to be evaluating ourselves. We, we make note of that, especially coming up to communion time, but it should be daily. I don't want to minimize that. It should be daily, Okay. But what things are we becoming entangled with? What are the distractions that, that we have in our life that takes our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ? What chokes us out of the word? Think about the things in your life. What grabs your attention most often and, and takes, it away, takes you away from Jesus, takes you away from, from God's word? All right, that is number six. We've got one more to go. And the last one, as I said at the beginning, is maybe a more on the negative side. And that is, Abraham was human and Abraham failed in a moment of weakness. I'm not here today to promote that we should be failing. Okay, I'm stating a fact that he did fail. Okay, he was human. We are human. As humans, we're not perfect. We fail. Abraham was one of the greatest men that ever lived, and yet he was not perfect. We have two accounts of him in scripture, of him lying. I'm not going to read those right now. You can read that on your own. But we do have two accounts of him in scripture where he lied. And uh, not something we should follow Abraham in. Just stating a fact that he, that he was human, he made a mistake. The Bible paints a picture of many people in, in, in the Bible. It paints a picture of very graphic pictures of these people's lives, these characters. Warts and all, you might say. I mean, it, the Bible gets very specific about some things that they did. Examples of Abraham, David, uh, Jacob. Think about these men. Jonah, think about New Testament. Peter, these men did some great things for God, but there's also things that we read in Scripture, some things that we shouldn't follow, and they failed. And Abraham failed. <clears throat> Even the faithful will stumble, stumble sometimes. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen, and even after we turn around and follow God, sometimes we trip and we stumble. But if we have our eyes on the goal, and we don't take our eyes off of Jesus, then we can jump back up and we can keep walking towards him. It's when we turn around and walk away from him is the problem. <clears throat> so Abraham stumbled, but he was forgiven. Praise God. And that's true for us today, too. When we stumble, we can be forgiven. God will forgive us. Abraham was a friend of God. God forgave him. We can be friends of God. God will forgive us. That can be a great... I'm, I'm, I'm saying this one about Abraham, hopefully, 
to be an encouragement to each one of us here that sometimes we slip up, we stumble, we fall. But when we confess, when we repent, there is forgiveness. <clears throat> there is forgiveness. Praise God. We need to emulate and gain encouragement from Abraham. Abraham didn't have what I'm holding in my hands today. He didn't have a copy of the scriptures. In fact, he didn't even have a copy of the Pentateuch, did he? What did he have? How did he know how to walk? How much more should we know how to walk? We're much more blessed. Yet he walked carefully with God. He stayed tuned in to hear God's voice. And the question for us today, I have some questions in closing. Can we hear God's voice speaking to our spirit today? Are we tuned in or are we too entangled in the things of this world to even hear God speaking to us? God can speak to us. Are we, if we're too entangled, we don't take time to read God's word. He speaks to us that way. He speaks to us through our brothers and sisters in Christ in church. He speaks to us in various ways, but if we're too entangled, we can't even hear those, those voices speaking. We can't hear God speaking to us. How entangled are you? How great is your faith? Do you have faith? Is it great? Are you being obedient to what you know the Lord is asking you to do? Does your faith have works? Are you a friend of God? Can others tell that you love Jesus like they could when they looked at Abraham? And here's a question that I'd like to close with and ask you to consider. As we think about the life of Abraham and we think how God called him and what God promised to him, that he would be the father of many, many people and that one day Jesus would come through his line. Think about those descendants. That's way down the road for Abraham. But now I want you to think about this. How many of your descendants will be faithful followers of Jesus? If God blesses you with a family, with children, how many of your descendants, think about how many generations, imagine, you have to imagine it, imagine if time goes on, how many generations are going to be gone down the road, and you'll be standing back here at the head of that generation, so to speak. And how many of those people down the road will be followers of Jesus? They all have choices to make. They will have choices to make, just like we have today. But we can live intentionally. We can live by faith. We can walk by faith, just like Abraham, and guide our, our families, our grandchildren, and God allows us our great-grandchildren, whatever. We can teach them God's, God's ways and God's principles and help them to make wise choices in life like Abraham did. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you so much for this example, the man Abraham in the Old Testament, <clears throat> of which you have given us much information. There's much written about him. We thank you for that example. These, these uh, different points that we talked about today, we we pulled out from the scripture, and uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for that example. Help us by your Holy Spirit uh, to be cooperative, to be obedient, 
and to just follow the Spirit's promptings in our life, uh, and to be just to obey immediately when you give us a command, when you give us direction, that we would simply obey and walk by faith. Keep our eyes on you. Say, so Lord, we just thank you for this this uh, this example to follow. Help us to ponder these things, to be faithful to you as you've been to us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.